Well, if you're here for the public works talk, uh, like I said, that's downtown, so uh, not. But one of the things I wanted to talk about today and is faith and fear. I bet if I went to every person in here and you wrote down me a definition for faith and fear, those two words are the two words in the Christian language that are the opposites. We have faith of a mustard seed to be able to know that uh, the wind blows in, in a certain direction, the river flows in a certain direction, and yet, for whatever reason, we cannot initiate a spiritual conversation because we're fearful of what somebody's going to say, we're fearful of somebody's critique, we're fearful of somebody's just generality. And fear is one of those things that uh, just straps us, isn't it? Straps us down, and we just don't talk to people. We just, for whatever reason, you know, we, we have all the gun-ho and gusto that we can generate in the morning, and then when we come to the, to the actual circumstance or event or appointment for that day, we fail because we're fearful. Well, I'm hoping that today you're going to be able to get rid of that fear. And this cartoon kind of demonstrates what I'm talking about. It says, do you want to talk about Jesus? No, not really. Well, he's kind of feeling awkward, and, and he loves his coffee. That's kind of like me. When, when I, uh, I remember when I was first approached about Jesus, I, uh, I didn't want to even talk about Jesus, because I was already angry with Jesus for whatever reason, because of my uh, abuse that I had when I was a child, and, and it just was tough. But that, per, that poor person who tried to initiate a conversation with me, he did not take no for an answer. Imagine that, not taking no for an answer. And and the spreading of the, you know, evangelism is the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching of personal witness. And one of the things that I think and is that second bullet point, to zealous advocacy of a cause. We, gentlemen and ladies, we need to have a passion again. We need to have a passion for Christ. And now... You'll tell me that I'm doing right, I'm serving, I'm doing everything I can, I'm utilizing my gifts, I'm, I'm going to church every Sunday, and, but that's just part of it. A passion is wanting to be able to give uh, the same type of co-heirship of Jesus Christ and the good news. That's what it's about. We... Uh, Call, you know, a lot of us call our pastors evangelists, or we call uh, a certain people evangelists. Well, I'm here to tell you today, along with Ken, is that an evangelist can be every one of you in this room. Every one of you can speak and talk. Now, a lot of you will say, well, I don't have the gift of evangelism. Well, one of the things about a gift of evangelism is that in Matthew, it takes 
and very clearly that we have the Great Commission. Does it say that we have to go to our pastor to, to give a, a person over to Christ? No. And that's what I'm t- saying, is that one of the things we need to do is get back to urging to do the work, as Timothy says, of an evangelist. When Christians write about the status and reputation of Christianity in American society, they usually focus on two questions. What is happening? What's happening today? What should be done? And I don't know how many of us we tend to, as Americans, we tend to critique. And we always have an opinion, don't we? We always come in and talk about, for whatever reason, uh, certain things about politics or religion or uh, any of that. In the 1900s, two-thirds of Christians lived in Europe and Russia. By 2000, three-fifths of Christians today will live in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Think about that for a second. Did I mention America? No. And yet, we're probably supposedly supposed to be the godly nation. It's, it's sad. And Africa is gaining 4,000 Christians per day through conversion from other religion, which is three times, three times what we're getting here in America. And all it is is spreading the gospel, talking about the good news, talking about Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, just about the gospel. We're not making a process out of it. Uh, I think a few of us in here, we can talk about the Navigator Bridge. We can talk about the um, evangelism explosion. Those are terms that we all know about. The five steps in the Romans, the five verses that we go about through that for evangelism. All of it is, is just to be able to get us umped and give us a good kick in the rear. And, I mean, that's what it's about, isn't it? We, we tell Christ that, yes, I want to do good works, and yes, I want to be able to um, strive to please my Lord and put a smile on his lips. But we just don't do that. Not when we're not evangelizing. Not when we're through our actions and words and being able to say, and truly, that's our duty. According to Pew Research, Christianity loses more people than it gains from religion conversion. It found that 23% of Americans raised as Christians no longer identify, no longer identify with Christianity. We call them nuns. And they rather identify as an atheist or agnostic than a Christian. And yet they were raised Christian. Majority of them were raised as a Christian. And yet we talk about and we give them a term called the nuns. The born-again experience is a defining characteristic of the evangelical movement. One of the things about um, is that nearly one that is reported by nearly all the leaders surveyed, more than nine in ten, nine in ten, ladies and gentlemen, say they have been born again. In most cases, at a relatively young age. 
The average is 17 years old, with nearly all the leaders saying they were born again before the age of 30. What's born again? Again, I can go in this congregation here and say, I want a definition of born again, and everyone would give me a different answer. And one of the things about being born again is that we are transformed according to Romans 12, 1 and 2. We are transformed as a living sacrifice to Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means being the new person, doing different things, and changing our life from the old self to the new self. And a lot of times, we just don't do that well. Not surprisingly, an overwhelmingly majority of leaders identify themselves evangelical. <laughs> that's a word that's been passed around for eons, evangelical, or Pentecostal, or Christian. And being a Christian, ladies and gentlemen, is simply accepting the fact that we've been justified in a relationship with Jesus Christ and that we are going to be going through a process of sanctification and become uh, to the point where we pursue holiness. That's what it's about. And then we finally end up, when we die, glorification. But that, that process of sanctification, that throws us off by leaps and bounds. And we don't need to be thrown off. What is an evangelical Christian? Not surprisingly, it is uh, the uh, following the teachings of Christ in one's personal and family life. Guess what? We have a 97 percentile there. But we're working to protect the natural environment. We only have a 36 percentile. Taking a stand on issues that could limit evangelicals' religious beliefs, 49%. And one of the things that we talk about, more so than anything in our Christian walk, is the term disunity. And unity in Christ, if we would just take all the different religions we have out there in Christianity. And Satan knows what he's doing. He's divided all of us into these, these quirks and these little things and don't sweat the small stuff. Well, uh, unfortunately, in, in certain religions, we do sweat the small stuff, don't we? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough out there. And one of the other things is working to help the poor and needy. One of the attributes of a growing church, believe it or not, is volunteerism. When you have a church that is people are volunteering left and right and going through the motion as far as helping the poor, helping the needy, and helping the veterans, all of that, guess what happens? I mean, the whole staff and the pastor and everyone is on down or is just going, praise God, praise God that we're doing the servitude of what Jesus wants us to do. But boy, evangelism, that's something that we don't want to do. We just say, that's a pastor's job. You have no doubt seen and been startled by the headlines, and such as this. 
Christianity declines sharply in the United States. Agnostics are growing. Pew Research. Christians in the United States on decline as numbers of nuns grows. Survey founts. Big drop in share of Americans calling themselves Christians. New York Times. And America is getting less Christian and less religious, the study shows. Huffington Post. All of these are being bombarded. We are being bombarded by the media and saying how badly we are doing. But you know what? That's statistics. And statistics is one of the things, if you've ever taken a statistics class, one of the things about statistics is you can point them to a certain area and make them work for you. And that's the thing about religion. Man created religion. God created Christianity. Christianity indeed declined nearly 8% with 71% of American adults identifying as Christians today, which is down from 78% in 2007. We've lost 8% of people in America for defining themselves as Christians. Instead, they'd rather define themselves as agnostic or atheist. Nuns, for instance, which is what, my, what we're just talking about, they increased just over 6 percentage points over the same time from 16% to 23%. That's 23% of the nation, that of people. That's how many people do we talking about here? We're talking in the hundreds and millions of people, just for that percentage. Non-Christian faiths, these grew very slightly, from very low numbers of 5% in 2007. The mainline Protestant churches are absolutely hemorrhaging members. To mix metaphors, members are running the exits, and running for the exits of these churches as if they are on fire. We kind of saw it here, didn't we? Unfortunately running for the exit rather than face reality and face what we needed to face, reconciliation. In absolute numbers, these churches have collectively declined by 5 million adults since 2007. Easily the starkest decline of any Christian tradition. This decline is because we don't want to talk to people about Jesus. We're afraid to. Fear is one of those things that distracts us down. Sharing one's faith is a core practice among many religions. For Christians, it's viewed as a mandate from Jesus himself before he departed earth. Let me say that word again, mandate. Yet today, a number of factors are curbing many Christians' enthusiasm for faith sharing, including the decline of religion in America a spreading apathy towards spiritual matters and a growing cultural suspicion of people of faith. We are learning to become suspicious of everybody and we're becoming intolerant of people. Acceptance of Jesus shouldn't be given to intolerance and to fear. Almost half of practicing Christians, millennials, and that's the millennial generation today, say evangelism is wrong. Why is, why is it that we passed on to a generation of Xers and Yers 
as baby boomers and traditionalists. And now they're saying that evangelism is wrong. Wow. Wow. Sorry. Evangelism is the announcement, proclamation, and preaching of the gospel. Therefore, the gospel is a communicated message. And we need to realize what that is about. Again, celebrating the Lord's Supper proclaims visibly the Lord's death until he comes again. And we're all in prayer and we're all in supplication and, and we tend to adore our Lord and Jesus Christ. We tend to talk to him in such a way that uh, gets his attention. But he's trying to get our attention. He's trying to hit us with that two by four and saying we need to be evangelistic. We need to be witnesses. We need to be faithful in the mandate given to us. A growing number of Christians today don't see sharing the good news as a personal responsibility. Why is that? Why is that? It's not scriptural. You know why? We've let the culture dictate to us what evangelism is supposed to be. Not the Bible. Not the Lord. The reality which we bear witness is the invisible kingdom of God. Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith agreed with the statement, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church as opposed to the job of an individual. Who makes up the church, people? Yeah, imagine that. You know, 25 years later, 3 in 10 Christians who have had a conversation about faith Say evangelism is the local church's responsibility. Three-fold increase. Evangelism, it's as simple as sharing a story, your story. Ken's going to go over how we share that story. And in 1993, 89% of Christians who had shared their faith agreed this is a responsibility of every Christian. Guess what, people? Today... Today, just 64% say so. 64%. What a drop. Because we're letting our culture dictate what we should be dictating to the culture. We should be changing the culture. We should become overcomers. As it states in Jeremiah and Isaiah, we should be overcomers of what the culture is bringing about. For a lot of American teens, religion is a regular part of the public school day. And yet, what did they do in 1962? They took prayer out. And prayer has become almost oblivious to the everyday activities in a school. In fact, if you pray today, I know of various news articles here lately that either the coach or the teacher or if you put a Bible on your desk, guess what happens? 
You either become ostracized to the point where you get disciplined or you lose your job. People, we need to change. We need to change that fast. Overall, in combining these five types of religious expressions and activities by fellow students, and there's five things that we measured in a student. Wearing religious clothing or jewelry, praying before a sporting event, inviting other students to youth groups, praying before eating lunch, and reading, reading the scripture during the school day. 8% of teens in public schools say they commonly see all five or four out of the five. It's, let me say that one more time. 8%. That's not even a 10%. That's not even, you know, where we can think of, well, maybe a quarter, maybe we're doing okay. Maybe we need to start doing something different. We need to drastically change. What is evangelism according to the culture? In addition to asking them what they have seen in school, the survey also asked teens who identified with the religion and attended a public school whether they personally participated in religious expressions in their school. Three in ten or fewer say they regularly wear jewelry or clothing with religious symbols. They pray before lunch, or they invite other students to worship service or a youth group, or they leave the school to participate in religious activities. I can remember going from school to my youth temperance council meeting. That's talking about somebody in here who probably doesn't know what Youth Temperance Council is, but I'm sure a lot of us do. And that's what's so neat about uh, the change in the culture and, and being fishers of men. You catch them, and he'll clean them. That's the neat thing about God. Uh, you know, one of the things is that we're constantly being declined in everything we say and do. Be ye fishers of men. You catch them, and he'll clean them. What is evangelism according to our Christianity? Without even really explaining what that means, in a nutshell, evangelism is telling people the good news about Jesus. What is evangelism according to our Christianity? The distinction between witnessing and evangelism and Ken's going to go over this, is important because it's easy to think we are evangelizing when all we're doing is bearing witness. We think that just because we're living a good life and not saying a word to our neighbor is being a good Christian. That's not the case. Giving one's testimony is a good thing. And I'm not saying it isn't. But it's not evangelism. Testifying to the work of God in our lives bears witness to what God has done for us. It does not by itself give the content of the gospel. No way. It's the gospel that changes lives. It's the Holy Spirit that changes lives. Living a righteous life manifests the work of the Holy Spirit. But we have not evangelized our neighbor if we have never shared the gospel with them. No one is converted by our kindness and no one is converted by our honesty. It takes our words to spread the gospel, to talk about the gospel, to talk about Jesus. 
One of the things that I did here is I'd give a statistic analysis, provide fair and accurate info to the public of what leadership is. Well, guess what? Religious leaders are seen as more caring, more likely to be truthful, and can be relied upon to handle resources more responsibly than members of Congress or leaders of tech companies. And you're going to say, well, that's an accomplishment. But guess what? Now for the bad news. Religious leaders are seen as less caring, less truthful, less likely to handle resources more responsibly than public school principals, police officers, members of the military. Even more damning, it comes to truth-telling, falling also below journalists and local elected officials. That's sad, ladies and gentlemen, sad that a leader as a pastor or as a laity going through that. And finally, ending here, is what does that mean? With all my talk and all the discussion I did, what does that exactly mean? And how do we share our faith? Well, Ken's going to get into that. But one of the things that I wanted to talk about was tactful. That you're sensitive to timing, the prompting of the Holy Spirit, and the level of your friend's spiritual thirst. Ladies and gentlemen, we believe in a trinity. And guess what? That is personhood of, of the Holy Spirit, personhood of Jesus Christ, personhood of God. We have three people in a trinity. We forget about the Holy Spirit for whatever reason. We think we can do it on our own and go out and go forth and spread the gospel without any guidance from the Holy Spirit. doesn't work that way. You have to pray. You have to ask the Holy Spirit's guidance. It's no different than reading the Bible. I can sit there and, and I've read the Bible from, from Genesis to Revelation, but I've never read the Bible more clearly and more understandably until I finally decided one day to ask for the Holy Spirit's guidance and every before I read the Bible. That's what it takes, ladies and gentlemen, prayer. And Ken's going to go over that with you. Evangelism, ladies and gentlemen, is not a dirty word. And here's your cartoon of the day. Oh no, not evangelism. Now Ken's going to talk to you and give you some pointers on how to do that. Well, good afternoon. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, great. Uh, my name is Ken Fulton, and this is my wife, Jolene. And uh, we have lived in Colorado for about 27 years. And we came out from California, but please don't hold that against us um, on that area. Um, I, I'll have you know, I, I came out as a pastor to, to Greeley, and I've been living in Greeley for the last 27 years. And yes, I do, do know it has our aroma there, but we, we like it, and it's a, a good spot. And in California, you may not know this, but Jim Murphy's a legend. He really was. I mean, when we moved here, we had friends who said, oh, that's close to where Jim Murphy lives and where he pastors a church. And so, we, it, actually, we, we had common roots and both attended the same church at different times, and so we have mutual friends. Um, some of them are now with the Lord, and um, 
cars there, but it, it's it's really good. So so Jim and Barbie were were part of the same same fellowship in California, and uh, and for the last 15 years I've been working with the navigators. And the reason I went with the navigators with their navigator church ministry was. I discovered, and Jolene, and we were processing our ministry at the church, and we did a lot of programs, all kinds of programs, and yet we found that that wasn't where there was impact and transformational change that takes place. In fact, it was interesting. Nowhere in my job as an associate pastor was there anything about discipling or discipleship. And Jolene said one time, he says, you know, Ken, I think you're going to get in trouble spending all this time meeting with men. You know, and uh, it turns out our senior pastor was on board with that, and it was a, a great thing. So, so we saw a wonderful um, transformation that took place in life to life and wanted to spend the rest of our ministry working in life to life. God opened up the doors to be part of Navigator Church ministry, and it's great here. And uh, during the years, we've actually been here a few times, uh, when I was on vacation, a couple times we came over here and, uh, and worshipped and uh, met Jim at that time. And then later when we got involved with Navigators, uh, had more fellowship, more interaction, and, and it was really a, a great thing. And so we have warm feelings about the church. And is Jeff here? Oh, hi, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for all your help. And I appreciate your, your work in setting things up in the past and helpful with, you know, when my father died to... Uh, to kind of change the schedule on that. Well, we want to talk, I was asked to talk about starting spiritual conversations. And it's a little hard coming in, parachuting into a church, not knowing exactly who you're talking to. So just get a, a feel for it. Okay, who of you still works either part-time or full-time? Okay, so some of you are still working jobs. And uh, so you work full-time. How many work full-time? And you're, and you're slumming right now. You're taking time off to, to be here. Okay. Yeah. And then um, how many of you would say, if you were to classify yourself, you say, you know, I'm really an extrovert. Okay, one over there, two, a couple here. Extroverts, okay, a couple over here. And uh, let's see. Okay, interesting. How many of you then... And then you, you may not raise your hands because you're introverts, but <laughs> how many of you would say you're introverts? Okay, isn't that interesting? Okay, the first thing I want to do, this is good because this is kind of what I geared this for, and most people tend to be introverts, and I want to take a moment, pair up or with two or three people, and describe your feelings and images when we say the word evangelist, or evangelism training? What do you think of? And I know we, I, when I saw this cartoon that Ed found, I said I want to use this at the opening, um, and I hope that doesn't bias your conversation. It, it actually, you can say some good things too here, okay? But just break up among yourselves and say, okay, what do you feel or think or see the images that come to mind or the feelings, the emotions that come to mind with that? Say what you said there, I think. Summarize it. Uh, she, uh, what's your name? Jenny. Jenny? Yes. Jenny went to, uh, when she was a new Christian, went through evangelism explosion, which is, is really great training in presenting the gospel, but, but there was a lot of cold turkey evangelism. Uh, college campuses, corners. 
laundromats is our, our experience. We, we, we did laundromats, you know, and, uh, and, and malls. And people see you coming, and they, uh, they, they, <laughs> they veer away. It's kind of a strange, strange deal. And, uh, and so um, as you are um, uh, working with that, how did you feel? question is, why are we doing this? Because you weren't having good, significant conversations. Right. Okay, great. Pat, do you have any friends? Me? Do you have any friends? Well, we'll talk about that later. Huh? We'll talk about that later. You were one of the extroverts, weren't you? I'm asking you. Yeah, we'll get to that <laughs> in a second. Okay, because we'll talk about friends. We'll talk about uh, people we know. So, that's good. That would be good. Uh, if you could hang on to that for a few minutes there. Um, what else did we feel? What are some of the other discussions? Intimidated. What? Intimidated. intimidated. Jeff, you said intimidated. Okay. What else? Judge. Judge. Judge? Okay. Because. What? Past tense. I, I've been judged. Oh. With it, with that, that judged. Okay. Any good feelings, evangelist? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's not all bad, is it? I mean, no. It's it's great. In fact, evangelism means good news. Okay. So, or evangelism. Well, you know, the the Greek word. So it, it's a it's an excellent thing. But but sometimes I think we are in a situation where we struggle with this whole issue of, of the image of evangelists. I mean, we have positive images of evangelists, Billy Graham and uh, Luis Palau, and, and uh, you know, we praise God for their giftedness. Um, but, but, you know, sometimes what we see is a model of, um, of working that is hard for us to attain. You know, I think oftentimes what we're presented with is People who are, are very gifted, sometimes they are extroverted, sometimes they are type A personalities, and sometimes they are, did I push that down? Uh, sometimes they are, um, you know, very skilled at, at a script and being able to say certain things. Evangelism explosion. I, I praise God. It gave me a, a script that took took me 13 weeks to learn, and I could use that down the road to see people come to Christ. And so, but it was hard. It was it was difficult, and I discovered that many times I do not feel quite up to speed with some of the models of evangelism that are presented. I come to you. Um, my dad was an extrovert. My mom was a rather uh, staunch, would you say that's introvert? Fairly significant. And I think I grew up as an introvert. I discovered that I'm not totally an introvert. I, I think after years of thinking about this, pondering it, I'm a, um, a rather severe introvert with a closet extrovert trying to get out. I don't know. You know, it's just. <laughs> but the reality is most of us are just not going to be natural gifted public evangelists. We're not going to do street corners preaching. Um, we don't do cold call evangelism very well. And so we want to think through the whole 
process. And yet, as, as Ed was pointing out, evangelism is something that's, that is incredibly important. So, is this working? Oops. Oh, you got to point, point it in the right direction? There you go. Okay. You know, Scripture's mandated. You know, one of the big things for, for us in Navigator Church Ministry is the Great Commission. And as you read it, you know, you see this incredible commissioning that God gives us. Here we have, and then they saw him. Uh, when they saw them, they uh, worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Wow. You know, it, it was curious. I have used that so many times when I was preaching as a reference, but it wasn't until I was in Navigators that I ever used it as a text to, to use it as the sole text for my, a message. And today, my purpose is not to make an exposition of this passage, but just to remind us of some truths that are there. And first of all, as we look at this passage, we see that, that God has called us to make disciples. And making disciples involves people who are lost coming into the kingdom and then being taught the things of Jesus so that they can make disciples. We see the words baptizing. It indicates that there are people who are lost. They're crossing over from death to life. They're crossing out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son. And yet, we're called to teach the commandments that Jesus made. So it's a whole process that we're involved with and all of us are called to make disciples, so I think all of us may have different expertise. You know, I, I spend a lot of my time working with believers, but yet I'm still called to be engaged with the loss and to be involved in that. And that's a, a really important thing to think through. As we look at this passage, too, we are reminded that um, we have a, a true comfort, a promise. Christ says, and I will be with you always. Wonderful reminder. Even when you're out in those uncomfortable spots, you know, that you sometimes get put into with evangelism training, it's knowing that God is with us. And when we have conversations with our friends, God is with us. Christ dwells in us. The Holy Spirit is, is working in our lives. But finally, we really don't have an option. You read in the beginning here that the disciples worshipped Jesus. He's worthy of worship. And he says, all authority has been uh, given to me. He has the authority. And, and the, 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 the phrase to make disciples is an imperative. I love an illustration that Francis Chan gave of, of this passage. I don't know if you've heard that. It, it's a, a wonderful illustration. He said, and this was some years ago, and this is a paraphrase, but he said, imagine I tell my daughter, go clean your room. 
And she comes back the next day and says, Dad, I've been thinking a lot about what you said to me yesterday. Go clean your room. In fact, I memorized it. I can say it. Go clean your room. I can say it in Greek. That was great. Or what if she comes back the next day and says, guess what, Dad? Some of my friends are getting together and we are going to have a study and reflect and think about the implications of what would happen if I did what you told me, if I went and cleaned my room. Isn't that great? No, obviously we're called to do this and we're called to be involved. So we have this tension. We feel somewhat inadequate, ill-equipped. Seems like the picture that we have sometimes is not always in our gifting. And yet, God has called us to be making disciples. You know, there's good news for us. Um, The church that uh, Jolene and I met at, it was a church plant of Lake Avenue where where, um, the Murphys were and... uh, uh, and Jolene had been part of it, and I just came at the tail end of this church plant. But we had a, it was a small church, and we had a, uh, uh, a family that started coming. And it was a, a, a husband, a wife, two boys, and then a daughter. And, you know, at, for the first part of the time, the wife wasn't there. You know, people were wondering, kind of, why doesn't she come to church? And it turns out she was very heavy, and she was conscious of her, her weight. And so she was kind of embarrassed, and, and it was just a struggle to get there. But eventually she started coming on a regular basis. And time after time after time, I found that when people um, were there that were new or had been coming, and I get to know them, I say, hey, how did you find out about Sunrise? They said, well, you know, Lois met me in the grocery store. Lois was probably the most shy person in the whole church. She's very quiet, very introverted. But she met people everywhere, grocery stores, at work, all over the place. I remember going to a party at their house, and it was filled with relationships. It was amazing. And so there's hope for all of us that we can be people who have spiritual conversations now, oops, we have a plan here. Um, some years ago, we had a speaker come to our NAV training uh, who was not a initially, well, he wasn't initially a navigator. His name was Gary Poole, and he wrote a book about secret small groups, and at one time he had been uh, for a while on staff with uh, 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 Willow Creek Church. But he told a story, he said, you know, when I started college, I went to Wheaton my first year, and I was invited to be in, in a navigator small group. And I kind of hesitated, and I saw the group, and I was walking away, and God really started to warm my heart. And I came back, and I said, I'm sorry I'm late. It won't happen again. He said, God changed his life. Oh, and by the way, if you're, you're looking for, this is my handout. It's that one little sheet there is double-sided. So you're trying to go figure out where I'm going. That's, that's it. Um, and um, as he was doing this, he said, totally changed his life. Life, family, circumstances changed the next uh, year. And so he, uh, he ended up at a state university in Indiana. 
and he went to the navigator group and he said, I'm here, I'm trained, I'm ready to go. And they said, great, why don't you hang out with us and we'll get to know you. you know, and he was ready to go. So he went to um, what's now called Crew Campus Crusade and he said, I'm here, I'm fully trained, I'm ready to go. And they said, great, why don't you hang out with us and we'll get to know you. So he ended up at InterVarsity. <laughs> and he said, I'm here, I'm trained, I'm ready to go. And they said, great, you can st lead a small group. What they didn't tell him was he had to get the people for the Bible study. And two, they were going to watch him very carefully. So he goes up and he puts some signs, Bible study, call Gary, and gave the phone number. And he had about eight people that showed up. He had his navigator tools called Design for Discipleship. He's all ready to go, and they're getting around and meeting each other. And he suddenly realizes that nobody in the group is a believer, not one of them. And so he slips the uh, Design for Discipleship book under his leg, and God gave him a question. He said, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And they went around, they started sharing, and that became his group. He started studying, working on it. They looked at scriptures. And the vast majority of those people in that group came to Christ. It was really interesting. Another ministry years later called Neighbors Bible Study started wrestling with this whole thing of how do we see people come to Christ? And they started taking some of Gary Poole's materials, reprinting them, um, sharpening them up, writing some additional tools and things, and they rebranded themselves, calling themselves Q Place, Q for question. And um, we at navigators have a partnership, a, a friendship, informal relationship. Uh, we're not a, above stealing anything that works and is biblical. And so, so we, we like them, and they, they like us, I think. And, um, and we have used a lot of the material. So they have a plan. They've worked on this, and they process it. And it's ninefold. And you see those squares up there. And it involves first noticing, praying, listening, asking questions, loving, welcoming, facilitating, serving together, and sharing. Now, that's a lot of stuff, and it would take a long time to process that. And I'm only going to talk about the first four. I'm not even going to mention the others or talk about them. So they're, they're off limits for today. But I really believe that if you do the first four, you're going to be motivated to find out how to do the next five. And if you don't do the first four, no matter how much training you have, it's not going to make much difference on the next five. So let's, let's talk about them. First of all, noticing. Noticing is a key thing. And as I look at Scripture, I see that um, there are some, some wonderful passages here. What? That's not on your outline, and so, so if, if you, uh, you may want to just write down this reference. It is on the outline a little bit later, but not for this one. Sorry for the confusion on that. I was trying to get this on two pages, so I was limiting my space. Uh, but when Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. How many of you have uh, been aghast when you see a crowd? You're going somewhere, and there's a crowd, and you go, oh, 
Oh my. Jesus saw this crowd, and what did he, what was his response? What? Compassion? He had compassion on them. He saw their condition. They were harassed. They were helpless. They were like sheep without a shepherd, just wandering in danger, going in the wrong directions. And he also saw this, this wonderful image of a field so ripe with harvest and the need for, for laborers, common day laborers, to work to, to bring in the harvest. Jesus was a great example of noticing. He is also one that we see in another uh, passage in, in Luke 9. We see the, the story, children, the great children's story, great children's song with Zacchaeus. The small man, short-statured. And in all the busyness of that day in the ministry, what did he do? He noticed this man and this need. So I'd say that one of the things involved with noticing is, and one reason why we want to notice is, is that Jesus himself did it. We, we also are involved with thinking through the, the whole process of working on that and, and helping to, to be in relationships. You know, years ago, I was doing some evangelism training um, in a church in California where I was pastoring, and I was getting ready for Luis Palau to come to town, and, and we were writing down names of non-believers we knew that we could be praying for. And there was this godly, godly woman sitting in the in the church, probably right about where you are there. And she was just sitting. Her name was Esther. And I looked at her, and I, I kind of went up and talked and asked her how it was going. She says, I don't know any non-Christians. And I go, really? And this, this woman was a, a pillar in the church, and she was great with people. And I go, wow, that's interesting. And so we talked about it a little bit more. Now, years later, thinking about this, I'm wondering, did she not notice non-believers or did she not know non-believers? I think they're two different things. And we want to take some time to notice. What are some of the roadblocks to noticing people and their spiritual condition in our lives today? Being too busy. Being too busy? Is that a big one? How many of you feel that pressure? Okay. And, and you know, the, the old adage, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to someday in another 10, 15 years to, to retire, but, uh, but uh, you know, I, I hear from my retired friends, they don't know how they got everything done before they, uh, when they were working. It's amazing. But busyness for, for everybody. Okay, what else? I'm sorry. Fear of being nosy. Fear of being nosy. Okay. Do you ever have that fear? You know, and, and when we talk about this, I had a note down here. We're not talking when we say being noticing, being creepy noticing, okay? This is, this, don't be creepy when you notice people, okay? <laughs> we, we want to be genuine, caring people. Okay, good. Oh, I'm sorry. 
leaving an impression that you're judgmental. Yeah, okay. Great. What else with noticing? Just noticing the spiritual condition of people and seeing them. I think busyness and maybe self-focus, would that, could that be a thing? That's tied to busyness, but just being consumed with our own agenda and not being able to, to stop and take a look to see who's around us and, and where they are. The, the reality is there's lots of non-believers that we have regular rela- relationships with us. I was asked, do, do you have any friends? Well, depends on how you define friends. And there's a lot of people that we have contact with all the time. And it's, it's really interesting. I used to go to a, um, a gas station in Greeley. It was close to the church where I worked. And, uh, um, you know, they had a regular manager that managed it. And after a while, you start to get to know these people. And Mike, Mike was an, a very nominal Catholic background, liberal, liberal politically. But yet, he was there. He was a person who was, was lost and needed to be found. We have a um, part of our team. I'm a regional leader for the, the, the Rocky Mountain area, and we were talking to some team members, and the wife was sharing how she actually works for her daughter-in-law. She's a, um, um, a, a, they have a daycare, and she shops every, every week, multiple times. She's in Sam's Club all the time. And you know those people that pass out the food? Does, do any of you, are you, any of you ever do, done that? Okay. Okay. But, but yeah, you know, it's great. You got to get there at the time when they're passing stuff out. You know, it's, it seems like I'm always getting there when they're closing up, you know. But, but, but she, uh, she's discovered that this woman was a real person. And she had been raised Catholic, had been, um, had a very bad experience with Catholic Church, move on, try to Lutheran Church, had a bad experience there. But she started to notice her. And it was wonderful. They, they started reading the Bible together. This woman bought a chronological Bible, and they were comparing that together. Who, who, who would imagine in a grocery, or a, I don't know if you call Sam's Club a grocery store, in a big box store. So Yeah. Right. This is. I don't know if you could hear that. You're saying, you, not just notice, but to really notice their continence, their stature, what's going on, and being able to see inside people, which is something. Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, so those are, are, are things, and, and uh, let's see, how many couples do we have here? Who, who's married and together? Okay, you got to m- both raise your hands when you're both married, okay, yeah, okay. <laughs> do you find sometimes that w- one spouse member is better at seeing certain things and another is better at seeing other things? Uh, I, I, I know Jolene sees things that I miss all the time, and I, I see things that she misses, and it, it's, it's really interesting. So, so being in community is, is, is very good on that. Well, how do we become better at noticing? What do we do to, to be involved with that? Well, I think a part of it is a, is a heart issue. 
You know, when you look at that first passage that we had here um, with uh, Jesus having compassion, you realize Christ's heart for the lost. And I think one of the things that helps me is spending time with Jesus. Having a daily devotional time is really key to interact and let God speak to me through his word and allow the Holy Spirit to be guiding. And as I do that, some of the hardness of my own heart, some of the self-preoccupation that I have gets softened. I start to see God's heart. I think another area that helps us too is community. Whether it be husband and wife or small groups of um, or prayer partners, people that, that can inspire us, encourage us to take time to note people. They're all over the place. Let's think through situations where, where you, you notice people. Yeah, yes, sir. Right, that, that was a great, I don't know if you could hear that. She said, it, uh, one of the ways to spur this on is thanking people that serve you. You know, whether it be a restaurant or a gas station, stores, things like that. That's, that's great. Think through the list of people that, that you have. Sometimes you get surprised by, by people. Uh, some years ago when um, our daughter was fairly young, and, and she's still young, I mean, she's 21, um, you know, so I, I'm a lot younger than you, you think I was, but you know, we were older, older people when we got her, uh, adopted her, and, and um, she wanted a dog, and she wanted a dog for, for several years, and finally we got a dog. And Jolene had been in a family that never had dogs, you know, didn't know what to do, was a little bit scared of them, is that okay, accurate to say? And she said, you gotta man up, you gotta take care of this dog, and we don't have a fence either. 27 years and we still don't have a fence. It's just the way the neighborhood is. And so I walk the dog. That's my job. And I promised to walk the dog morning and night. And we got this dog a little before Christmas. And in our neighborhood, that year, it was lit up. They had a special time. Everybody put lights up. Right after Christmas, guess what happens? Lights go out. It's dark, it's cold, and I'm going, what did I promise to do this for? I go, man, this is horrible. It's cold, it's dark, and I'm stuck doing this twice a day. And then I started noticing there was a whole group of men, because we don't have fences, walking their dogs before work and after work. Suddenly that became a group. You know, it's interesting. You don't even see those sometimes. And then God opens it up. I want to move on to the next thing. Number two is praying. Why do we put praying and why do we put it as number two? Well, praying is really important. Um, you know, the same passage we had earlier, I just added that last verse, verse 38. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers in his, his harvest. Pray earnestly. We're, Jesus calls us to pray. You know, it's interesting. Our, our senior leadership and navigators has, has developed a, a strategic team to plan out some goals 
for 2030. Can you imagine that? I, I, I can't even plan for next year. You know, and, I, and they're planning on 2030. And they prayed and they met and they thought and they wrestled with the scriptures. And they came up with a goal that they want to see in 2030 one million disciples. One million disciples. And, and they go, wow, that's incredible. And, you know, the neat thing is, is I tell our team about this and they're going, great, count me in. I'll take 10 of those or whatever it is. So it's, it's good news. And they're looking for specific qualities in people, five of them. First is walking with Jesus. The second is knowing and living the scriptures. The third is, is being, uh, participating in community. And the fourth is, and this is not on your handout if you're looking, is um, engaging with the lost. And then finally, the fifth one is reproducing uh, spiritual generations. And so they're praying for one million people who will be doing that. And they realize that it's not going to be all NAV staff. You know, it'll be what we call conventional income disciples, those who have income outside of donations from that they raise in fundraising. And they, they either have jobs or retirement income or, or different sources of, of, of money. But it, it, it is a prayer. And so we need to pray too that God would raise up people at faith to be disciples, to be laborers that work to bring in the harvest. Second thing we, we need to do and think about is, is the fact that we need his help. You know, Ed alluded to that, and, and it's, it's important. Jesus reminds us that no one can come to me unless the, uh, the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on that last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will be uh, taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. We can't do this on our own. Um, Jenny, was it? Yes. Was talking about evangelism explosion, and, and I know God used that in my life, but I remember one of the first times that I had an opportunity to actually share the gospel and see somebody pray to receive Christ. It was quite a while after I'd gone through evangelism explosion, and it turned out it was a man I didn't know. He had been to our church, but he came, and he came during the week, and he said, I'm having open-heart surgery, and I want to know how I can have peace with God. So I walked through the presentation, and I did a terrible job. I, I had parts all mixed up. You know, it, it, I mean, it kind of reminded me of preaching. I mean, it was just one part here and one part there, and, oh, it was awful. The pastors are laughing, you know, because you know what that's like. And I go, oh, this, this isn't awful. And so I walked through with him, and I go, does this make sense? He goes, yes. yes. So would you like to receive Christ? He goes, yes. So I went through it again to make sure that he understood what I was saying. And he said, yes, I, I'd like to pray. There's no way it was me. It was God. I had things so jumbled up when I was doing that. It was terrible. But God works, and so we need to pray. We need to be asking God to be <coughs> working um, on these. You know, I had some great quotes I saw on prayer. One was by R.A. Torrey. 
he worked with uh, D.L. Moody, and then he went out to L.A., started the Bible Institute of L.A., and was evangelist. And he said, the most important human factor in effective evangelism is, what? Prayer. Every great awakening in history of church from the time of the apostles until today has been the result of, what? Prayer. There has been uh, great awakenings without much preaching. There have been great awakenings with absolutely no organization. Uh, no organization, but there has never been a true awakening without much prayer. So we need to pray. And there's a great story of, of uh, um, George Mueller who prayed for some of his friends for years and years and years. And if you know that story, you know that after decades of prayer, he dies. And then the last two of the five come to, to Christ. You know, Jolene used to pray for her dad um, from a Sicilian background. Parents came from Sicily, very devout. Uh, he just dropped out of church. And she prayed when she was a little girl for years. Devout, you know, devout Catholic family, but he was, he was nothing for years. In his 80s, he came to Christ. So pray. Please pray. It's important. I find that when I, I pray, I'm, I'm too busy because all of these things start to happen. You know, God starts working in different ways. You know, sometimes I, I go, maybe I should stop praying. But don't, don't, don't stop praying. That's bad teaching. <laughs> don't do that. So, okay, thirdly, we want to be listening. Listening. It's important to listen and, and to be involved. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Now, I love this because I think most evangelism training does not emphasize listening, but talking, right? What do we say? What do we pre proclaim? And I realize that we are to proclaim Christ, you know, and that we need to speak up. We can't just listen all the time. I think we're very bad at listening. You know, when we adopted uh, in our neighborhood, all of a sudden, we, you know, we show up with this, this little baby. And I remember walking down to the, the mailbox, which was a number of doors down. And it was in front of a house where the guy, every time I said hi to him, he goes, uh, you know, kind of, and walked into his house and, no, no comments, no interaction. And then I had my daughter under my arm. I was carrying her down, walking down. And all of a sudden, it's, what's this? When did this happen? And I go, wow, there's nothing like a baby to open up relationships. It's, it's incredible. And the next thing out of his mouth was, have you ever considered investing in, in um, um, what do you call it, uh, TSAs and, and, and things? And he was trying to sell me... Um, some tax shelter annuities and, and stuff. And I go, no. I'm not sure if that was really listening or caring. You know, he, he was looking for a mark, you know, somebody to sell. Next time he talked to me, um, it was a few years later, and he, he came up and says, hey, I wonder if you could do me a favor. And I go, sure. What? And he says, would you not walk on my grass when you, you go to the, the box? It was a parkway there, you know, and... and the cluster box was on the other side of the, of the sidewalk. I said, okay. So I walked down the street and around when I parked my car to get the mail. 
And then the third time he talked to me, it was, um, hey, you want to buy a car? <laughs> so so he, obviously the listening didn't have any heart to it. And when you've had people who don't listen to you, how do you feel? Feel all warm and fuzzy inside, right? You ever had that happen? You know, you have people that just are in their own world, talking about their own things, and they never want to really listen. So we need to, to listen and to, to listen to what people say. And sometimes that's going to be hard. I would say that our nature and our training is, is that we want to jump in there. And so we want to ask questions and listen, but it's more of an opportunity to have our spiel, right? Even in our own relationships and in our own marriages, we find that oftentimes, they, they've studied this, they, they said that most of us are not really listening. We're spending that time thinking what we're going to say in our little speech, which will be the next time we talk. You know, so, so we take turns being quiet, but we're not listening. So as we listen, there's, there's a lot of different ways that you can help. I, I do some life coaching with pastors. Um, our strategy on that is, is we want pastors to help uh, grow a disciple-making culture in a church, and a lot of times we've got to help them to be who God has called them to be in order to do that. So, so we spend some time coaching them and working on it. And when I'm in a coaching conversation, I'm trying to clarify what they say. And here's some sample ways in which you can do that. I think this is great, you know, when you're trying to hear what people are saying. You know, so if I'm hearing you right, or let me make sure that I'm tracking with you, you're, or you're saying you feel, is that right? Wow, you're really engaging with what people say. Does that make sense? Yeah, we, we need to, to constantly be thinking through what we're doing. I know it's hard sometimes to listen and to hear people. And especially if they're not believers, it's hard to really stay quiet for a while and let them talk. But we do need to hear what they have to say to validate what they're, uh, what, who they are and that they're worthwhile. Now, you know, we will say something down the road, but, but there's a time where you need to get to know them. And I think it's tying to what you're saying about noticing body language and confidence, you know, and hearing that. Right. But you really, you kind of have to hear the same thing twice in a row. I don't know if you heard that, but sometimes you hear the same thing over and over again for a while, which gets a little monotonous. But, but in listening, you finally actually hear what they're they're really trying to say. Sometimes they don't know what they're saying. You know. It, it, it's, it's curious, our perception. Um, when we moved here uh, from California, you know, we, it was a slow time for real estate in California, and I was having our house trying to get it ready for sale. And I called one of our neighbors, and my next-door neighbor was Ken. It was named Ken. And I called a woman across the street, 
essentially people that we had spent time with and talked to, but it's, it's funny. Um, you know, her, her Doberman had gotten loose, and I was trying to, trying to, try to corral him back in. You know, it's an expensive dog. And I said, how are you doing? He says, oh, I'm fine, except that, that blankety-blank preacher um, was mad at my dog being out in the, his yard, his precious lawn. I go, oh. And I go, well, y- you know, um, how do I say this? I'm, I'm the other Ken. I'm not the Ken, you know, in the other house. I'm the Ken with, with the lawn. And, uh, and so, you know, being able to hear people, sometimes we can understand some of their misconceptions about Christianity. So, last one is, is asking questions. I want to finish up with this, asking questions here. And so, um, as we, we think through that whole process, it's important to ask good questions. Not scripted questions, ready to, to get somebody set up for, for something. You know, we've all had that. Salespeople ask questions. Oh, what do you do? What do you do? And, um, and so we're in a situation where, where we're, um, we're needing to ask good discovery questions. And again, we were talking about before with noticing, not creepy. These questions are, are not to be creepy either, okay? And I, we had a, you know, one church that we attended, there was a woman who had a way of, of asking probing questions, which felt like you were in a spotlight. You know, my Jolene and myself, my daughter, all of us had experienced at one time or another being up in the corner and he felt like um, she had been born 30 years too late. She, she had a real calling to be part of the uh, Gestapo Inquisition. <laughs> That's not what we're talking about, okay? We're not talking about, you know, um, questions that set them up to be failures, but to discover what they're, they're saying. And again, with, with coaching, I've discovered that I'm not good at questions. I thought I was. And I can ask some questions that are very good in helping people um, but when we were talking about, well, we're talking about not asking closed questions that have yes or no answers because that doesn't get a conversation going. We're not talking about questions that, that sound judgmental. And I know Jesus asked excellent questions and God asked questions. I, I left this out here. When, when uh, God asked uh, Abraham, I mean, excuse me, Adam and Eve, where are you? Did he know where they were? Yeah. I mean, you, know, you go, why is he asking? Well, that was for their sake. Right? It's a way of exposing what is going on in their life. And so questions can, can peel off the layers. I would encourage you not to ask questions that have things like why, even though Jesus did that. The verse that led me to Christ was... Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? Great verse, I'll value that. But I'm not Jesus, and sometimes when I say, why did you do that? It sounds and comes across the wrong way. But ask questions that help discover what people are thinking, what they are feeling in their lives. Does that make sense? Any questions on that? What? And Yeah, and... Ed put together a whole list of, of good questions. And so think through open-ended questions, discovery questions that you can talk to, 
people about and get conversations going. You know, when you hit the right questions, it's amazing. And I've had people say, you know, I haven't talked about this in years. I don't know why I'm talking to you about it. Well, it's just the right question. And the Holy Spirit working there. So, next steps. I know we're um, out of time, but uh, one hesitation about doing a presentation like this is, is that you say, well, that, you know, that was good. That was good. But nothing happens. My old supervisor was a, a retired military guy. There's a lot of military people and navigators, and he was a retired lieutenant colonel. And he would preach quite often, and people would come up to him and say, you know, that was a wonderful message. And he would say, no. It's not until you do something about it. Then it will be wonderful. So can you do something about it? And by the way, I'm not fishing for a compliment afterwards, but, uh, but we need to respond. So I want us to think through this process. And, and I, I know we're supposed to be through at 2.30, right? Um, can I have a couple more minutes just to process that? Okay. I want you to evaluate where you're at. Where you're at in noticing, praying, listening, and asking. And on a scale of 1 to 10, give yourself a number. It may be an 8. I doubt if there's too many 10s anywhere, because we're not 10s. Um, try not to give yourself a 0, but, but think through that whole process, okay? Can, can you just put a, a score down there? And as you're doing that, ask yourself the second question. What would it look like if I moved up? Say you're a four in noticing. So what would it look like if I was a six? What changes would take place in my life? How would this look? Can you think through that? Does that make sense? Or is that confusing? Okay, what I'm saying is, let's look at our current reality, where we're at. And then, in light of Scripture, what God has called us to do, where does He want us to be? Okay. And do all of you feel a bit of a gap in those areas? I do. Okay. Then think through what are the steps that I need to take to go from here to here? What action steps do I need to take? Okay. I realize that this can't always be done in a couple minutes. You may need to sit down tonight and process this, or stick this in your Bible and process this and think through it. But ask yourselves, what needs to change? You know, I mentioned the five marks that we're looking for in navigators for disciple makers, disciples, and one was participating in the community. The reality is, very little of this will change without community. If you have a way of getting into a group that allows you to talk about these things and share them and pray for them, or if you have a friend that you text prayer requests with, or some way, let them know and say, will you, will you stand alongside me as I'm working on these steps? Can you do that? Does that make sense? 
Does that not make sense? How many are confused with what I'm saying? Okay. So we, you are? Oh. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, it, it is a, it's a wonderful thing. Hebrews 3.13, anybody know that verse? Calling us to exhort each other daily, as long as it's called today, lest your heart be hardened by deception. I forget the last part. I'm a lousy navigator. Oh, man. <laughs> I can't, can't say the words. Navigators really do a lot of Bible memory. But anyway, the, the point there is, is that we're prone to hard hearts. And we need each other. We need each other daily to exhort, to encourage our hearts to draw close to each other and to be part of that. So I find that um, different ways of setting up those communities work better for different people, but find some place to help you in this. I really believe that if you do these four things, then some of the conversations will start to come as you are working on it. And I realize that that's a whole nother set of, of training and times and working on that process. But, but I believe that that training needs to be just in time training when you're actually doing that and have a conversation. It may not be in a seminar format. It may be pursuing things with other people and saying, we need to grow in this area. But it's wonderful to have those conversations. Can I pray for you? Sure. One of the things about this whole seminar and this whole conversation is to realize that we sometimes need to have um, people to be accountable to or partner with. And I just want you to know that there's a resource here at this church, uh, and there's numerous people with the elders and with Jim and myself. Uh, if you have any questions whatsoever, feel free to ask. Uh, one of the things about this nine spiritual arts of conversation is that we're probably going to have a Sunday school class with this. And so uh, we're hoping that this not only initiates a spark, but we keep the flame going. We keep the flame going. Stand up. Heavenly Father, we just come to you. I'm so grateful that you put people in our lives, people who, who noticed, people who prayed for us, people who listened to us, and people who asked good questions. Lord, we ask that you would put us in the lives of others. Help us to notice family members, co-workers, neighbors, people in the, the marketplace, people in, in uh, the play areas of, of life, hobbies and activities. Lord, give us insight into where they're at. And give us your compassion. Lord, help us to, um, to really be able to consistently lift people up. Lord, to, to put lists in our Bibles and 
in our prayer journals and Lord to to be praying as we walk the dog and see houses and as we are driving along or in shopping in the grocery store may all these areas be immersed in prayer and Lord we ask that you would be working to help us to hear the struggles that people are going through to ask good questions, to allow us to bring the scriptures in, to share the truth, that people might come to know you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.